morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. At Barah Ministries, we know that Jesus Christ is God. And as Lord, he is 100% deity. He is God the Son. He is also 100% human, just like you and me. And his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and lived among us. He is the sovereign God of the universe. He is the Savior of the whole world, and he is the Jewish Messiah. I was in Indianapolis this week, and a homeless guy walked up to me. So it just goes to show you how you, you get to put your money where your mouth is, because remember last week I said that I was going to do this thing with homeless guys. So a homeless guy walks up to me. He says, hey, how you doing? I'm a pastor. And I said, a pastor of what? He said, a pastor of a church. And I said, where do you guys meet, in a tent or what? And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of busting his chops. And he said, that's really funny, man. He said, yeah, I just talk to people on the street about Jesus. I said, who's that? He said, he's the savior of the whole world. I said, did he save me? He said, if you want him to. I said, so what's the big deal if I get saved? He said, you'll go to heaven when you die. I said, are you going there? He said, Absolutely. I said, well, seems to me that if I can get saved by believing in Jesus Christ, then more people need to do that. He said, absolutely, more people should do it. We took it out of schools. We take it out of everything. Uh, Jesus Christ doesn't appear anywhere. I said, he said, I said, is that a lately thing? It seems like that's been going on forever. He said, it has been. And that's why we're hurting. I said, I got to agree with you, man. Here's $20. I gave him $20. He said, thanks, man. This is going to be really helpful. I said, yeah, we'll get something good with it. That was it. No, I didn't tell him I was a pastor. Nope. You know, sometimes you have a conversation, you just entertain angels, and you don't even know it. Amen? But I loved it. I mean, you want to talk about, here this guy is, walking around in 35-degree weather, talking about Jesus Christ. Of course, we, you know, we can't do that. Here at Barah Ministries, we just sit here in our little warmth. You know, we're not going to go out and talk to anybody about this. You know, I know the Lord says, go, we're not going to go. Right? Isn't that right? Amen? Yeah, no, that's going to change. We're going to grow, and we're going to get grants. That's what's going to happen. And if we're going to grow, we got to go and talk to people. We're going to be doing that. It's going to be a lot of fun. So anyway... Those who make Barah Ministries their spiritual home believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. We are Christians, and we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ is a person. He is not a thing. He is not a concept. And just as we would do with any person whom we love, we spend time getting to know the Lord through the study of his word. I don't have to go to church. Okay, true. You don't have to go to church, but where are you going to learn about the Lord Jesus Christ? Who are you going to turn to when something is going wrong in your life? Who? Your phone? Doesn't have any answers, but a congregation does. Because when people in this congregation have stuff going on wrong with their life, you know who they call? They call me. And you know what's funny about that? John and Monica always talk about, when they're talking to people about Barah Ministries, they say, when's the last time you talked to your pastor? And ugh, we don't talk to our pastor. Ooh, megachurch, we don't talk to our pastor. 
a sheep and a shepherd don't talk? I don't know about that. See? So, yeah, you don't have to go to church, but where are you going to get fellowship from? From people who are spiritual, who when you have a problem in your life and you need some spiritual guidance, who are you going to go to? See, that's the thing. And so you all in, this, in Barah Ministries, you have that. The people out there, they don't have it. They're going to megachurches. What are they doing? They're hiding in the megachurches. They're getting a concert. They're getting a dance. But they're not getting the word. It doesn't go into their soul and flush out all the crap that happens when, when you have the real stuff happen in your life. I feel so sorry for you, you uh, Norbert and Mary. I feel so sorry for you. You know why? Because you said you're going to get married. Right? And y'all can laugh all you want and grin all you want. I've done that twice. I know exactly what happens after that. Satan said, oh, no, you didn't. Oh, no, you didn't talk about unity and brings up all the stuff that is your garbage. That's what happens. See? Now, who are you going to talk to about it? We're not going to talk to anybody about it. You know what we're going to do? We're going to go hide. We're going to pretend. Amen? Yeah. No good. No, that's why we come here. That's why we're here. We're here for each other. We don't have to be phony with each other. We don't have to hide. And we can go right in here in the 27 books that we're responsible for and have a new life because that's what God intended for us. Whatever happened in the past is all garbage that led us up to this point. I got people in my life who've done a lot of stupid things up to this point in their lives, and they sit and beat themselves with a rubber hose. They're sitting there with their thumb in the mouth in the fetal position, laying on the floor, and rehashing what they did as if that's somehow going to help. Rehashing what they did in relationships. I know what that's like. I did it for nine years after my first divorce. I sat there and rehashed, like, what could I have done differently? And uh, In this next relationship, it's not going to be like that. And you know what happened in the next relationship? It was just like that. You know why? Because I showed up. I brought the same thing. See? I was just thinking about this on the way here. Pierce, don't get married till you're 40. That's what I was thinking about. Right? Okay, so if you get married at 40, you still got 20 years with the kid. And 60, you see what I'm like at 65. I'm vibrant, man. Right? So, but it'll be plenty of time to get mature. All right, now, Cindy, your mom just went on the ceiling. She's thinking, when am I going to get my grandbaby? Shut up, Cindy. This ain't your business. I'm trying to school my friend here. This ain't even your business. You shouldn't have sent him down here if you didn't want him to get counseled. Amen? Yeah, it's one of those days. It's been one of those weeks, hasn't it, Zachary? Yeah, it's been just like that. Poor Zachary is the wrong end of that week. So, anyway, you can't get, yeah, you don't have to go to church, but you can't get to know the Lord without knowing his mind, and the Bible is his exact thinking. Well, James, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was a pisser, this guy was direct, calls Christians to action. 
in James chapter 2, verses 14 to 17. Here's what he says. He says, what use is it, my brethren, fellow believers in Christ, if someone says he has faith in Christ, but he has no works to back up the faith? A person who is all talk and no action. If a brother or a sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and yet you don't give them what is necessary for their body, food. What use is that? James 2.17, even so, faith, if it has no work. Third class condition, if in the Greek. If, maybe you will, maybe you won't have works, it's up to you. Even so, if it has no works to back it up, no evidence of action, faith is dead being faith by itself without the works to back it up. Now, he's clearly talking to believers in Christ here. And all the stupid pastors in the world think this is about salvation. That if you don't work for salvation, then it's not going to go well with you. But clearly, in the first verse that I share with you, James 2.14, he said, brethren, he was talking to believers in Christ. He was talking to Jewish believers. And what was he saying? You can have all the faith you want. If you aren't using your spiritual gift, what are you really doing? If every time the the two words spiritual gift get mentioned together, you go into a tizzy, I don't know what mine is. You're not going to find out what yours is on your butt. You're going to find out what it is working, and it will be a thing that comes absolutely natural to you. And you will sit in front of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is omniscient, and he does know all the knowable, and he's going to ask you questions that he knows the answer to. And one of them is, what would you do with the gift of the life I gave you? What would you do with the spiritual gift I gave you? Did you recognize the works that I gave you to do, and then did you step up and do them? That's what he's going to ask you, and you've got to ask yourself that. You've got to be honest with you. Because what could we do? What is it that 40 people can do when they are of one mind and they make a decision? Have we all made a decision that that building is going to be a reality? And are we all spending every moment of our life thinking about what we could be doing to advance that so that it's here now instead of later? Because I'd like to be alive when that gets built. Honestly, I don't want it to be the Rory J. Clark Memorial Building because I don't want my name on anything anyway. But I'd like to be alive when that happens. I talked to our grant writer this week about that very thing. He, He didn't particularly care for it that I didn't like the pace he's moving at. And my give a shit meter about what he thought about what I think about his pace did not pin. It did not move because here's the thing. I want it now. We've been patient. Now it's time to put up or shut up. That's what James is talking about, that we as believers in Christ have to put up or shut up. Amen? All right, so genuine faith is evidenced by works. James chapter 2, verse 20 says this, So are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Yes, I am. So how do you show up as Christians? What? Works of yours evidence your faith. Because everything God does is about evidence. He says he loves you, but it's not just words. He shows you. 
He is the perfection example. He says you can live a sinless life. And then what did he do? He came and showed us. Now, we haven't done it. We don't do it. But he showed it can be done. He is not a talker. He is a doer. And he expects us to do too. Now, Barah Ministries makes a difference by teaching the word of God from the Lord Jesus Christ's perspective and not from man's perspective. We search the scriptures to learn who the Lord is as a person and to learn what our God has to say about himself, about his plan for mankind, and about his personal plan for each of us. And we are here to look at our lives from his perspective. We are here to learn how to enjoy the sphere of grace, the forgiveness, and the unconditional love in which we stand. So welcome. Today's Bible lesson, Bad Friends Corrupt. Bad Friends Corrupt. My mom used to always tell me about the girls in our neighborhood when I'd say, hey, can I go play with Mary Ann? She would look at me with this cold look, and she would say, I'm not fattening frogs for snakes. (laughs) Wow. I just want to go to a dance, Mom. <laughs> it's like, what? Right? Well, what was she really telling me? She was saying bad friends corrupt. <laughs> yeah, she was brutal. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, the Apostle Paul says this. Oh, I didn't change that from, I, I've got 5-1 on that verse, but it's 15-33. Bad friends, do not be deceived, believers in Christ. Bad company corrupts good morals. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. This is Paul all the way down the road in this 1 Corinthians thing. And what's he still talking about? Divisions and rivalries. Well, have you ever had a person in your life whose conduct led you down the wrong path? Have you ever had a person in your life whose conduct led you down the wrong path? We all have. Well, what did you do then? Since that's inevitable, what did you do then? Did you stay with them and get corrupted, or did you flee from them? Because we're taught, biblically, to resist Satan, and he will flee from us. Well, in today's lesson, the Apostle Paul tells us what we have to do when we encounter corrupt lifestyles in the congregation. And also, as we do every month, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper, and we'll honor our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we'll learn that his work at the cross enabled our union with him, And we'll get to see the significance of this gift in our lives. Well, enough of me. Let's listen to some (laughs) let's listen to some music. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before the shearers is silent, he opened not his mouth. And that is why he is called the Lamb of God. John the Baptist was the first to call him the Lamb of God in John chapter one, verse twenty nine. He saw Jesus coming. And he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Let us celebrate him as June Murphy sings the song, Lamb of God. Too high. 
Him from your side to walk upon this guilty side and to become the Lamb of God. Your gift of love they crucified. They laughed and scorned him as he died. The humble king they made a wrong and sacrificed the Lamb of God. Oh, Lamb of God, sweet Lamb of I love the Holy Lamb of God. Oh, wash me in His precious blood. My Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. I was so should have died but you have brought me to your side to be led by your staff and rod and to be called the Lamb of God oh Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for giving us a lifestyle to live up to. Thank you for being the ultimate planner who laid out a succession path for each of your creatures. Thank you for inviting us to this life. And thank you for giving us the chance to discover our unique path. And thank you for giving us time to orient our lives to worshiping you. Challenge us to live on the narrow road that leads to the resurrection life. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, bad friends corrupt. Bad friends corrupt. Bad tracks corrupt as well, June. That, that track was, 
an octave too low for you in the first half, just so you know. So next time, then you'll just find the karaoke track that gets you to that second half octave, which was beautiful. Thank you very much for singing today. We have a few... Th- <laughs> oh, yeah, I ain't playing today. We have a few things to finish up in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Last week, we learned that there is a time to kick someone out of a church. Let's re- and a couple of people have been kicked out of Barah Ministries over the years, and a lot of people have left Barah Ministries over the years, and the people who left, it's pretty good that they did because they weren't about us. And you have to be about something to be in something. If you're not on the side of the people you're around, then get away from being around them. You have to be on their side. That's a fundamental thing of teamwork. Be on the other person's side. It's as simple as that. I didn't have that in marriage. I didn't have women who were on my side. I don't know whose side they were on, but they weren't on my side. And that's no good. And I'm not trying to be critical of them. They can make their choice as people. And maybe I'm just a jerk. But fundamental to getting in a relationship is be on the other person's side. Otherwise, what are you doing? Yet, we know relationships because the ultimate relationship, Jesus Christ and Satan, what was that like? Jesus Christ creates this perfect being. Couldn't be better. The most brilliant, beautiful, and gorgeous genius ever to come from his hands. And what did that person do? Turned on him, on Jesus. For what? What exactly was I want to be like the Most High? He couldn't be like the Most High if he tried. And he's still in the delusion that he can somehow be like the Most High. He can't. And what is that? Rivalries and divisions is exactly what we're studying. It's stupid. It's so stupid. And one of the things that's great about getting older is you just don't want to spend five minutes of your time around anybody who's into that. If you're not on my side, get out of my life. Don't want you there. Don't want your drama, your divisions. Don't want it. It's a pain. There's something else to do. If you don't want to be on somebody's side, then don't be with them. Amen? It's really simple. That's what Paul's talking about here. So as we transition to chapter 5, we got some things to finish up. Last week we learned there's a time to kick someone out of a church. Well, when's the time to kick somebody out of a church? When they're not on, on your side, when it's clear from their lifestyle that they're not on the side of the church. And that's the time for those of us who are in the church who are speaking for the church, because Barah Ministries is a corporation. And that corporation is an Arizona corporation, and it is a file folder downtown. It is a voiceless entity that cannot speak for itself. So it has a pastor who speaks for it and congregation members who do things for it. We are on Barah Ministries' side. We are speaking for Barah Ministries. We are financing Barah Ministries. Barah Ministries dies without the people here. That's it. And so if we aren't for it, then we're against it. It's so simple, life. It's so simple. Yet people run around thinking that all the stuff 
in the world is more important than the very simple thing called relationships. There's nothing more important than that. That's what Christianity is. So let's remind ourselves of what we studied in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Here's what we learned. It is actually reported by Chloe's people and others that there is sexual immorality among you. The kind of sexual, sexual immorality that's not even considered okay among the Gentiles, unbelievers, who find some conduct absolutely repugnant. That someone is having sex with his father's wife. That someone is having sex with his stepmother. <sighs> 1 Corinthians 5.2 Why have you Corinthian believers become arrogant? puffed up with self-importance, instead of mourning about this, so that the one who has done this would be removed from your congregation. Paul's going to say that three times in the 13 verses of chapter 5. Remove this person from your midst. Why? Bad friends corrupt. Get that person out. 1 Corinthians 5, 3. For my part, Although I'm absent in body, I am present in spirit, and I have already pronounced judgment, making a decision in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ as though I were present, concerning him who has committed this act of having sex with his stepmother. Now, at first, you hear this sexual immorality thing, and you go, I've committed sexual immorality. Oh, my goodness, maybe I should be kicked out of the church. There's no question about it. We sh you should be kicked out of the church. But if that happened, there'd be nobody in the church. Because all of us have committed sexual immorality. What does that mean? We don't follow God's rules because we think we're smarter than him. And we're not. That's it. So it's not that. It can't be that. Because if it's that, there is no Barah Ministries. It's not that. So what is Paul talking about here? That's what we have to ask ourselves. He says in 1 Corinthians 5, 4, And when you as a church are assembled, just as I am assembled with you in spirit, not body, because I'm over here in Ephesus, I'm on to the next thing, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ as our guide, 1 Corinthians 5, 5, let us agree to deliver this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So here it is clearly. This is a believer in Christ. Because if this is not a believer in Christ, you don't turn him over to Satan. What is he saying? Let him get him out of your church and let him go out into the world. If he wants to act like the world, let him be in the world because the world will lure him in, pretend like they like him, and cut his throat. And then he'll be in the best shape that he could be in. He'll be in heaven. His spirit will be saved because he's a believer in Christ. All right, now that guy is done. Paul's already pronounced the decision about him. Get him out. Now he starts talking about the real issue of this passage, which is the congregation and how they handle things because they were so nonchalant about it. They had a snake walking around in their midst, a poisonous viper who was rearing up, and they were going, oh, cute little snake. Isn't the snake cute? Isn't the snake cute who's about to bite me and kill me? That's what it's like having a person in your congregation who is, who is being divisive, 
who is taking people out of the congregation. They're all, they're smiling all the time, but they're in the background doing background stuff that sucks the life out of a congregation. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. Your boasting about yourselves is not good. You think you're intellectual, you think you're, you're rich, you're social, you're wonderful, but you're spiritually bankrupt. Do you not know, are you ignorant of the fact that a little leaven, a small sin like this, an apparently small sin like sexual immorality, flaunted as a lifestyle in the church, leavens the whole lump of dough, ruins an entire congregation? Are you aware? Great analogy. 1 Corinthians 5-7, the second time Paul says it and makes it obvious. Clean out the old leaven. That's the man engaging in sexual immorality as a lifestyle, so that you may be a new lump of leaven, cleansed from this impurity, that you may just as you are in, that you may be just as you are in fact unleavened. We are, as believers in Christ, a new creation. For Christ, our Passover has already been sacrificed at the cross. And we celebrate that today in the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 5, 8. Therefore, all this other stuff being true in verses 1 to 7 and even all the way back to the entire third passage of 1 Corinthians. Therefore, let us believers in Christ celebrate the Passover feast, not with old leaven. Let's not go on in our church with somebody like this in our midst nor with leaven that is malicious and evil, but let us celebrate the Passover feast with the unleavened bread that is pure and truthful. When we go from being an unbeliever to being a believer in Christ, the old man in us is dead, crucified at the cross. It's dead. Now you have this part. It's dead but not removed. And now you have this part in you called the flesh. And every time you're arguing, with somebody you love. You know who's arguing? The flesh. It's not you. It's the flesh. It's that part of you that Satan uses to ruin your life, to steal your happiness, and to suck all the energy out of you. And whatever you think you're protecting by letting the flesh rule you, you are protecting nothing. What you're doing is feeding a part of you that is systematically destroying you. It's a termite. And it's one termite who got in your house, found out there was food, and did this. And called all his friends, and now they all moved into your life, and they are systematically destroying your life, but you don't think so, because you're not paying attention, because you're not judging yourself by the right standard. And the, the right standard is the biblical standard. That's the truth. Is there anybody in here who hasn't done that in their life? Because I'm the first and foremost to have done that in my life. Anybody in here better than me? No? I, I don't hear none. <laughs> See? Well, why am I so passionate about this? Why am I so intense about this? Because I care about you. Your life matters. That's why. And we live in a world that is trying to make us believe, as believers in Christ, people who have the victory, that our life does not matter. That it's okay to go through life in a coma. I'm bored. I'm bored. To go through life through the motions. Do you think 
that if you practice going through the motions today, that you're suddenly going to stop and get serious at a point? No, you're not. You're going to drag it into your relationships. You're going to drag it into work. You're going to drag it into fun. You're going to be the most boring person on earth because you've been practicing it. Our greatest fear isn't that we're inadequate. Our greatest fear is that we're powerful beyond measure. It's not our darkness that we fear. It's our light. That's why we sit on our asses as Christians. Because we don't want to experience the greatness that we have. What do you think I'm trying to do now, now that I've lost 37 pounds? I'm trying to sabotage it by going back to the old lifestyle. Because I'm successful. People are noticing, man, God, you got so skinny. Yeah, well, I can fatten right up for you, man, even though I gave away all my fat clothes. I can fatten right back up and go buy the fat clothes again. See, I got rid of the fat clothes because I didn't even want to have the possibility of going back to that life. Close it out. That's what we do. Every time we get something that's good, we see how fast we can kill it. How fun is that? It's not fun. Stop it. It's time to stop it. Now, when it's time to kick someone out of the church, when is that? When their conduct reflects a lifestyle that hinders the advancement of the gospel message. When is it time to kick somebody out of your life? It's time to kick somebody out of your life when it's absolutely obvious to you from over and over and over again evidence that they are not on your side. They are not out to cooperate with you. They are competing with you. They are not out to help you. They are out to hurt you. Get them out. They are a disease that will only affect you. Bad friends corrupt. When are they like that? They're lovers of self, not lovers of God. When their conduct causes people to leave a congregation. When their conduct causes unbelievers to think there's no believer difference between a Christian and an unbeliever. There's so many times when I give people advice. Now, the thing that I advise them about, I may not be doing it, but I may be failing at it so well that I absolutely know I'm right and I'm trying to help them. And what do they do? They look at my life and they say, well, you're not doing it, so it's okay for me. Example, a parent who smokes who's telling the kid not to smoke. Parents got COPD. The parent knows they're going to die. They're not going to stop smoking. But they're telling their kid, don't smoke. And the kid starts smoking and says, well, you smoke. It's got to be okay for me to smoke. Yeah, it is okay for me to, you to smoke. You have a choice. But you're going to end up just like me with COPD. Do you think that's smart? It's not smart. It's not smart, but that's what usually happens. Because the kid is, is taking on the wrong standard, not the standard, taking on the standard of the parent. Don't take on the standard of the parent. Take on the standard of what God says. God says, this is going to hurt you. Believe him. He's never been wrong. He's never been wrong. So, when do we get people out of a congregation? When, it, when their lives make it apparent to unbelievers that there's no difference between being a Christian and an unbeliever. 
And we know there are vast differences between being a Christian and an unbeliever. Number one, unbelievers are going to the lake of fire at physical death. Christians are not. When their conduct is strong words, infiltrating, extinguishing, defiling, tarnishing, and ridiculously disgusting, there's a big difference between coming to a church drunk and being an alcoholic. That's the difference we're talking about here. A little mistake once in a while versus a pattern of operation that is destructive to your very life, so much so that you no longer control it. Alcohol, al- alcoholics cannot control themselves when they drink. A person who's drunk does it one time and they're back to normal. There's a difference. Alcohol is sugar. Sugar will kill you. Satan created it. It's to kill you. It is not to help you. It is not fun to drink. It is not fun to be drunk. It is destructive to your life. It robs you of your life and your relationships and years. It is not fun. Lifestyle is what we're talking about. Rooting out of a congregation. One, alcohol, being alcoholic is a lifestyle, being drunk is a mistake. As believers in Christ, we make mistakes all the time, but we don't have to turn our mistakes into a lifestyle. In the final verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul gets more specific about what he's recommending. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 9, when I wrote to you in my letter, not to associate with sexually immoral people, this is beautiful, he's about to lower the boom on these guys. I did not at all mean not to associate with the sexually immoral people of the world, unbelievers, nor with the greedy predators and swindlers of the world, nor with the idolaters of the world. Otherwise, you'd be obligated to leave the world completely. The Corinthian culture was filled. It was Vegas. It was filled with people who engaged in orgies, Usury, which is charging way too much interest. Visa, MasterCard, American Express. Unconscionable. They give people who have no income, people making forty grand a year, $40,000 credit limits at 25% interest with a $35 late fee. Unconscionable. And they get away with it. It's called usury. And it is legal now. And when I was a, a, a young man, it was illegal to use usury against your customers. And now it is not. And that's why bankruptcies are at an all-time high. Usury. So the Corinthian culture was filled with this. Worshipping pseudo-gods. There was no way to get away from these people other than to die. He's not talking about the world. And he's not just singling out sexual sins. He's talking about other sins, too, that were equally repugnant when they are lifestyles. 1 Corinthians 5.11. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother, a Christian, if he is sexually immoral, a sexually immoral person or if he's greedy, or if he's an idolater, or one who is verbally abusive, or a drunkard, or a financial predator. I told you not even to eat with a person like this. 
So he's talking about believers, not unbelievers. The Lord Jesus Christ hung out with tax gatherers and sinners. Unbelievers, prostitutes, tax gatherers who were the lowest of the low. According to the Pharisees. So if you're inclined to use this passage to beat yourself up, remember that. We're not talking about the mistake. We're talking about the lifestyle. But the Lord was what he wants us to be with the unbelieving world. He was a light shining in a dark place. Christianity has to reflect different values than those lived by unbelievers. Christianity has to reflect different lifestyles than those lived by unbelievers. 1 Corinthians 5.12 For what have I to do judging outsiders, unbelievers? Do you not judge those who are within the church? Why are you being so nonchalant about this guy in your church who has this sexually immoral lifestyle and is flaunting it, is proud of it? 1 Corinthians 5.13, But those who are outside the church, God judges. As for you, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Don't entertain them. So what is the essence of what Paul is saying to the Corinthians? He's saying if you think lowering God's standards to meet your conduct is okay, instead of changing your conduct to meet God's standards, you're mistaken. Bad friends corrupt good morals. We know that we are flawed. We don't have to turn our flaws into a lifestyle. And we don't have to flaunt our flaws in a church, nor do we have to tolerate the flaunting of flaws in a church. What we need to do instead is to reflect the lifestyle that attracts unbelievers rather than repelling them. When we return from our five-minute break, we'll take the offering and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. Will all the other not quite? Will all the never get it right? But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody. We're trying to tell everybody. All about somebody who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus When Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight you picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm, I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul For the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see 
Today's Bible lesson, bad friends corrupt. Bad friends corrupt. Well, as we, you give today, let your attitude reflect the Lord's attitude as communicated in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, which says, Remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, who himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with the offering message. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Bra Ministries, a worldwide Christian church. And Bra Ministries is a place where real people come to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. We're talking about the Bible. And as we're thinking about the Corinthians and hearing about all the, the factions and the rivalries that happened, I thought about, you know, what's, what's the solution? What is obedience? And then I kind of thought of the other end, you know, like, what's the... What's the why is this happening, you know? Why are they acting like this to each other? <clears throat> and my first thought was arrogance and pride, being conceited and thinking, oh, I'm better than these people, and oh, I'm, I'm, I'm on an elevated plane than these other people around me. 
<clears throat> and I thought, you know, back to my own childhood, you know, why do, why do people get these thoughts in their heads and where does it come from? And I thought in my own childhood, you know, I, growing up I always thought I was a little special or that I always got things a little bit better and like things just happened well, you know, like when I was in high school or when I, I think it was high school, junior high started probably, my grandma was type, she would type all my papers for me. So I was like, I don't have to go to typing class. Sweet, grandma does it for me. Yeah, that's sweet. It was great. And then we had little things, you know, like even before that, growing up as a little kid, we'd be like on a vacation and they're like, hey, Denny, you're fast. Run over there and grab that and bring it back. And I was like, yeah, I am fast. I'll go over there and get that. It's like, thanks. And then, you know, I felt like I was the, the good cousin. I was always helping grandma and grandma running all over the place, grabbing pots and pans. And I was just being useful, but I thought I was special. You know, and then I got into high school, and I remember we had a really cool English teacher. And a couple of the football players didn't do so good on one of the, the English tests. We got, to re we got to retest. We got to take it over. I'm like, well, that's pretty good. I'm, I'm kind of special, you know. I'm different than these other people that are in class. I got to redo it. But she knew we were undermanned and a very small team, and we had played the night before, and we were very tired and all the excuses in the world. But anyway, the point of the story is just you get these little things in your life where you think you're special, and all through your life growing up, you have these thoughts like, ah, oh, I'm just a little bit better. And, and then I realized, I think, in like high school or college that every kid thinks that. You know, every kid thinks they're going to win the lottery. You know, you buy a lottery ticket, I'm going to have a chance to win. I'm going to have a chance to win. You think, and then you don't. And I remember my dad, he played little scratchers his whole life, and he never won anything big <laughs> his whole life. But I remember he gave us a chance as kids to play them. And we would get a scratcher and scratch it off, and you'd win two bucks. And what would you do? Go back and try to play for two more, and then you'd lose your money. But I remember just you know, seeing him play it all the time, and now thinking back, he never won anything. It was one of those things where we, we always think we're special, and we're really not. We're finding out we're, just, we're not that special. And the real one that's special is Jesus Christ. He's the one that's special. You know? So it's really easy to get you know, inflated in ourselves, and I do it. I'm sure you know, we've seen a little bit of somebody else been doing it lately, too, but... <laughs> you know, those guys that fly airplanes and stuff like that, they want their own private jet. Those guys are a little conceited sometimes, but, you know, we see, what, you know, so where do, we, where do we look for the real answers? This is the Bible. We see in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, For through the grace given to me, I, Paul, say to everyone among you not to think more highly of, your, of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted, allotted to each a measure of faith. So that goes for our, person, our, our relationships, and that goes for how we conduct ourselves, but that also goes for our money, because we're basically a conduit for our money. It comes from other people, and it goes out. It comes from other people, and it goes out. So why not give to something that you really care about, you know, like a private jet, or the next album that we need out, or something, that, you know, something like the gospel, the most amazing thing in the world, the real light, the, the, like Pastor's saying, giving people the chance to have their highest and best, rather than being scared of it. And to learn about it rather than to just be ignorant of it, you know. And so I think as we go out there today, let's just remember to, to also not be conceited with our money. Don't think that we just can spend it wherever and that it's, it's kind of, it doesn't matter. Because it does matter where you spend your money. And it's a form of worship when you give it the offering. And to support others to have the, the gospel message and to, to have a pastor that truly cares about them. And that's something you don't see nowadays. And so, I mean... We talk about the people that have left the church, and it's sad because we would have a full house if everybody was here right now. We couldn't fit in this room. And, but at the end of the day, I know that they are all very clear on the gospel. Everybody that came through this church knows how to get to heaven, and that's really at the end of the day what matters. And Hopefully they can continue in their spiritual life 
and hopefully they can always remember to, to keep themselves, to, to, to not think more highly of themselves than they ought to, but to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to us. So thank you for coming and learning about that judgment in your faith. So, thank you. Hey, Deacon Denny, you don't have to worry about me in the private plane. I'm too much of a baby boomer. I like collecting stuff, and you don't get uh, frequent flyer miles on private planes. So I'll just keep flying American and United. The Lord's Supper celebration. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ made it possible to be in union with him. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ made it possible to be in union with him. Welcome to the Lord's Supper celebration, the most intimate expression of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ in the Christian way of living. The Lord demonstrates his desire for a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with his believers by creating a way to keep on sharing his body and blood with us, just as he did with his apostles on the night before his death. Luke chapter 22, verses 14 to 16 say this, when the hour had come and his crucifixion was near, the Lord Jesus Christ reclined at the Passover table and his apostles reclined with him. Luke twenty-two fifteen. and the Lord said to the apostles, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat this Passover meal until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God the Father. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, the Apostle Paul says, On behalf of the Lord, as often as you eat this bread representing his body, and as often as you drink the cup representing his blood, as part of the Lord's Supper celebration, you proclaim as a reality and you announce the significance of the Lord Jesus Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead until he comes again in the second coming. The Lord's Supper celebration is a time when resident members of this congregation join hands through the miles with our non-resident congregation members 
and we demonstrate our unity by remembering our Lord together. And this is a celebration for which we set aside time. We don't do it on the move. And so much of what we do now is on the move, but not with each other. During the Lord's Supper celebration, Jesus wants his believers to look back at the cross. So I just want you to close your eyes for a moment and just envision the cross and the one who was hanging there. He wants us to remember how he rescued us from the kingdom of darkness by doing that. He wants us to remember the sacrifice of shedding his blood to cover our sins, because the only way to cover sins is with blood. He wants us to remember the deliverance to the resurrection life he orchestrated, bringing us into his kingdom of light. And these are things that we don't think about all the time that are our reality as believers in Christ. And most of all, the Lord wants his believers to have hope by looking forward with anticipation to the fact that he is coming again. As believers in Christ, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we ask ourselves in reflection, what did the Lord Jesus Christ do for us at the cross? And this is the only time that we as believers in Christ look back in our lives. You can open your eyes again. At the cross, <laughs> you guys would be doing that the whole thing. So. When do we get to open our eyes? You get to open your eyes now. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ made it possible for us to be in union with him. You see me do this so many times. We're in union with him, and we can't get out. That's so amazing. I clasp my hands together, for those of you who are listening, and I pull them, and I can't get them apart, because when we're placed into union with Christ as believers, we're placed into union with him, and we can't get out. Now, if you're a believer in Christ... You are placed in union with Christ at the moment of salvation through the baptism of God the Holy Spirit, the only baptism that matters. Water baptism is a a meaningless ritual. Baptizing a baby is completely meaningless. Pouring oily water in the baby's eyes is absolutely cruel because it does absolutely nothing for that baby's salvation. Nothing. So, You, as believers in Christ, are in Christo Iesu. Beautiful, romantic Greek words that mean in union with Christ. In Christo Iesu. In Christ Jesus. You are now in possession of a gift for all eternity whose power would stagger your imagination if you could grasp the depth of it in your mentality. The power of the Lord Jesus Christ indwelling you. June is pretty impressed with the fact that she's moved from 212 pounds to 194 pounds in a very short period of time. You know, Denise is impressed with the fact that she has moved from 152 pounds to 120 pounds in a short period of time. But here's the thing. See, neither one of them understood that that's a routine day at the office in the, in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Neither, neither of them really thought about the fact that they've had that supernatural power inside of them all the time. Neither of them thought about, this is just the beginning. And we're all the same way. What can you do in a marriage if the two of you are in Christo Iesu. What can you do if you have this supernatural power operating in your relationship instead of crap 
then what happens? That's what I'm talking to you about. That's why the passion in the first half of the lesson, which you probably took like uh, most people take it when anybody's being passionate and focused and clear and intense. Why the beat down? We have such, such weak-minded people today. The whole world out there is trying to turn us uh, males into beta males. We're just walking through our lives in a coma, trying to dumb ourselves down and, and, and to not be passionate, not to be strong. Why would we do that? Women are counting on us to be strong, so they don't have to be. Women are so used to being men that they have forgotten how to be women. But that's not what's true for Christians. Christian men are in Christo Jesus. We have supernatural power inside of us. We don't have to be beta males. We're alpha males. We're buck and call of the wild when he became the dog at the front of the pack, not the one that was third in line sniffing up another dog's butt. Amen? We're at the front of the line. And getting to the front of the line and being an alpha requires some ferocity, not wimpiness, not gentleness. That's not men. We make things happen. And especially if we're believers in Christ. Do you think Jesus Christ was a beta? Ask the money changers in the temple if he was a beta. Ask the Pharisees if he was a beta. Ask the guys who came to arrest him if he was a beta. They came to arrest him. He said, I'm Jesus, and they fell down. <laughs> he is the Alpha and the Omega. He didn't say he was the beta and the whatever's before Omega. He's an alpha. So we have this gift in us, the power of the divine Savior, sovereign God of the universe living in us. Here are just a few of the things the Bible has to say about being in union with Christ Jesus in Christo Jesu. In union with Christ Jesus means you were given a grace gift by God the Father billions of years before you were created. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 say this, Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ, Timothy. This is Paul talking to his beloved son and protege, Timothy. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ, nor of the testimony of me, Paul, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel message, according to the power of God the Father. God the Father, who has saved you believers in Christ and who has called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to the Father's own purpose and according to the grace which was granted to those of us in union with Christ Jesus from all eternity before the creation of the world. What exactly does that mean? It means that the, God the Father was thinking about you a billion years ago, a billion years before you were created. And he was thinking about what a magnificent life he was going to put together for you. Are you living it or are you sabotaging it? In union with Christ Jesus means it was God the Father's will to bless you, 
beyond your wildest dreams, endowing you with mind-boggling spiritual growth. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6 say this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is one of the most romantic passages in the Bible. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us believers in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places based on our union with Christ. How many spiritual blessings? I didn't hear you. Every. Everyone. What is it that you think you need? It's already been done. You're biting your nails wondering if it's going to be done, but it's already been done. It's just waiting for you to put your arms out to grasp it. Ephesians 1.4 Just as God the Father chose us believers to be in union with Christ before the foundation of the world in eternity past, that we would be holy and blameless before him. And we are right this moment when the Lord looks at you, when the Father looks at you, they see holy, they see blameless. Ephesians 1.5. In unconditional love, God the Father predestined us believers, determined it in advance, and paid for the entire experience. Predestined us believers in Christ to adoption as sons, adoption as adult sons, through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Ephesians 1.6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which God the Father freely bestowed on us who are in union with Christ, in union with the beloved, in union with the divinely loved one. What a magnificent gift you have living inside of you. A supernatural gift living inside of you. A power that will allow you to do anything you want. You know what one of my friends said about me the other day? He said, Rory, when you decide that something's going to happen, it occurs. So decide. It's always good to have friends who remind you who you were and who you may have forgotten to be. In union with Christ Jesus means you are loved in a way that you don't even believe. No matter how much God tells you, no matter how much the Word of God tells you, no matter how much I tell you, but when you look back to the cross and when you see in your mind's eye, which is why I asked you to close your eyes, when you see it in your mind's eye, what the Lord did for you as he hung there, you know, without having to express what you know in words, how much you are valued and esteemed by the supreme God of the universe. Did you hear me? The supreme God of the universe values, loves, forgives, and esteems you. Imagine any mother that you see looking at her kids. I was in Starbucks this morning. This lady was looking at this little girl like she hung the moon. And I'm looking at the little girl and saying, when are you going to give up the pacifier, girlfriend? It's, a little, it's about time for that. It's going to just make you buck teeth. Your teeth going to be all poked out. Get rid of the pacifier, and your diaper smells a little bit. And the mom's looking at this kid like this kid is the most precious thing. And then another lady comes in and is looking at the kid. That's the way God looks at us all the time. So when you look back at the cross, you know 
that God is crazy about you. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39 say this, I, Paul, am convinced, because I've studied it inside and out, backwards and forwards, have sat and listened to the Lord himself tell me it, that not death nor anything in life, not angels, not principalities, not fallen angels, not elect angels, not any of the demon officer angels, nor things present, things right now, the circumstances of right now, nor things to come, the circumstances of the future, nor powers, governments all throughout the world, not height, nothing in heaven, not depth, nothing in the lake of fire, nor any other created thing, no other being will ever be able to separate you. Ook, nope, not no way, not no how, not never will ever be able to separate you from the unconditional love of God the Father, which is bestowed on those who are in union with Christ Jesus our Lord. In union with Christ Jesus means you are redeemed, purchased from the slavery of sin, and forgiven for all your sins. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In union with Christ, we believers in Christ have redemption through his blood. The blood he shed for us at the cross to cover sin. And we have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the glorious riches of God the Father's grace, a grace that he lavished on us. Think about smothered steak. You get this steak and you take some gravy and you smother it all over the gravy, uh, all the gravy on the steak. That's how he lavishes his love on us. We are completely covered with it. So covered with it that when somebody takes their finger and just taste the love that he has, they just go, mm, that is good. Amen? Amen? Yeah, it's just like that. And union with Christ Jesus means that you are justified. You have been pronounced as legally righteous. And God the Father goes through the halls of heaven every day mentioning your name to the people who know you there and letting them know that you will be there right soon. Rick, your mom hears on a regular basis from God the Father that you will be in heaven at a time when your days that he has allotted to you are up, 35, 40 years from now. Amen? And she's so excited. And she knows I'm coming too. She's waiting to slip me a check like she used to do <laughs> when she was over here. She was, Rick's mom was an original member of Barah Ministries, and she was so excited when it was the offering time. And she just slipped me a check, and it was so cute. Love, love, loved Faye. And when that building is built, there's going to be a seat that nobody gets to sit in because it's going to be reserved for Faye. And there's going to be another one for Dorothy, and nobody's going to get to sit in those seats. Women who have touched my life. This is International Woman Day. I am a woman, a woman-created man. And my mom taught me how to be an alpha male. She wasn't raising weak people. Amen? And she's waiting in heaven so that she can tell me, yeah, you did all right. (laughs) That's just the way she was. (laughs) That's right, Jesus always say that. Right to me. I'm the only one that was on her side. None of my kids ever do anything for me. Okay, Mom, whatever. 
I'm not listening to you. I'm just going to love you. You say whatever else you want. You are justified in the eyes of God the Father, and the righteousness of God the Father and the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ are imputed to you. You have a double portion of righteousness credited to your account as a free gift, and that is your admission ticket to heaven. So if you go to heaven's door and you say, here, here is the Jesus Christ righteousness, and they look at it and they say, yeah, that's not going to work today. You just say, don't worry about it. Here's God the Father's righteousness. Thank you. Don't make me pull out the Holy Spirit's righteousness. Nobody's going to be stopping you at the gate because you're going to have a personal escort. You're going to be escorted through your death-shadowed valley personally by the Lord Jesus Christ. So in union with Christ means that you're getting into heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God the Father made Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be a sin substitute on our behalf. He made Jesus Christ come into contact with sin in his own body so that he could be a sin substitute for you, paying for all of your sins, past, present, and future, so that you could have the absolute righteousness of God the Father as a gift because of your union with him. And union with Christ Jesus means you are a child of God, made into a completely new species. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in union with Christ and all believers in Christ are, there is a new creation. You are not a better version of the old self. You are a brand new species. The old man thing passed away. It died, crucified at the cross. Behold, new thing have come. Galatians 3.26, you believers in Christ are all sons of God the Father through your faith and through your union in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1 sums up the power of this miracle very well. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in union with Christ. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ gave us union with himself, an unprecedented an unbelievable gift. And when we learn to use its supernatural power, we realize there is nothing we can't do. We do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Well, let's enjoy the elements. Obeying God's command, we keep on celebrating Christ and his cross. We eat to remember who he is as a person, and we drink to remember his work. The work on the cross, the voluntary sacrifice he made to deliver us. And we remember with gratitude what the Lord has done to save us. Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to 28, say this. When they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is being broken for you. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks... He gave it to them and he said, drink from it, all of you, because this is my blood, the blood of a new testament, the blood of a new covenant, blood poured out for the many for the forgiveness of their sins. So as you enjoy this bread and as you enjoy the cup, remember the cross and remember the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, who hung there. And let us keep on giving thanks that we are loved unconditionally that we are forgiven, that we are completely accepted by a Lord who is always there for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? No one.
the one on whom we can depend. Let us keep on being transformed by his life, by his death, by his burial, by his resurrection from the dead, and by his words. And so as we enjoy the elements, here's Jeremy Camp to sing that there is a supernatural power indwelling us. The same power. I can see the waters raging at my feet. I can feel the breath of those surrounding me. I can hear the sound of nations rising up. We will not be overtaken. We will not be overcome. I can walk down this dark and painful road. I can face Every fear of the unknown I can hear All God's children singing out We will not be overtaken We will not be overcome The same power that rose Jesus from the grave The same power
Yeah, so the next time you're being petty with somebody you're in a relationship with, just ask yourself a really simple question. Are you using that power that lives in you? Because when you start using that power that lives in you, your life's going to be completely different. And what I'm inviting you to do is watch my life from this day forward. Watch what happens. Because I've been living in human power. I did pretty well. Thanks to God. But all you got to do is read Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. I consider everything that's happened from this point backwards to be scubula. Human excrement. Because I haven't been tapping into the power that dwells in me. I invite you to come along with me on that journey. Amen? All right, we close the lesson as we always do, reminding you that God wants you. And what he wants from you is to make the most important decision of your life. So the closing moments of our study are dedicated to anyone who doesn't have a personal relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the sovereign God of the universe. We want you to know that God wants you. What he wants is a relationship with you. And after hearing those opening comments, an atheist would say, there is no God. God doesn't exist. And I've sat across from a lot of people who have told me that. And it was all I could do to, to, to not laugh. The Bible has a completely different view. And even though people think the Bible is just a bunch of stories, the Apostle John makes the function of the Bible crystal clear in John chapter 20, verse 31. He says, these things written here in the Bible have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, the Son of God in human form, and that by believing in him, you may have the resurrection life in his name. Philosopher Blaise Pascal and what has come to be known as Pascal's Wager says that human beings bet with their lives that God either exists or he doesn't. And Pascal is right. So if you are an atheist, you would do well to at least consider what the Bible has to say. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All creatures have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, It is written, There is no creature who is righteous, not even one. Since atheists are created creatures, since they are human beings, they would do well to be curious about what exactly the Bible is proposing in those two verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22 says, All in union with Adam at physical birth, and that's every human being who comes to earth, every single one, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. And that's horrible news for an atheist. But the good news is that the Lord Jesus Christ had an interesting attitude toward all of his creatures, even those who think there is no God. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow about his promise of salvation, as some accuse him of. Instead, he is patient toward you unbelievers, including atheists, and wishing, not wishing for any of you, not meaning not never, not no way, not no how, ook, not wishing for any of you to perish, in the lake of fire, but for all of you to come to repentance, which is a change of mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible claims that God exists and that God lives in heaven. How can you get to heaven? If you're an atheist and you think Pascal was right, there is no downside to believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
right where you sit right now, you can tell God the Father that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the moment of eternal life for you. Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is an atheist's acknowledgement that there is that if there is a God, it might be smart to have faith in him. In John chapter 14, verse 6, the Lord Jesus Christ makes it very clear that he is God. Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation, I am the truth through the word of God, and I am the resurrection life, and no one comes to God the Father but through believing in me. No creature can do a thing to get to heaven on his own. Romans chapter 11, verse 6 says, is Salvation is by grace, and of course it is. It is no longer based on works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. God's grace makes your salvation a free gift to you. If you have to work for the gift, then the work makes you deserve the gift. In salvation, there's no way for you to impress God enough that he would allow you to save yourself. So it is very wise to let God save you because once God does something, he never changes his mind. He is immutable. He never changes. So heed the warning in John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. All right, now who is this God that saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. It says, I, Paul, deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, the gospel message, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Scriptures. So the Apostle Peter reminds us of the words of Old Testament prophet Joel, in Acts chapter 2, verse 21, which says, It shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. So if you're an atheist, I encourage you to keep on investigating to see if you're right about there being no God. And if you're not right and think there may be a God, there's plenty of room for you in heaven. All right, we'll close with a song. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says this, See how great and unconditional love God the Father has bestowed on us believers in Christ, that we would be called children of God. And that's exactly what we are. See, when God loves unconditionally, he's not at all like humans. He doesn't talk about his love. Here's June Murphy to tell us what God gives instead. Demonstrated love, not talk. God's love, a love that meets our deepest needs, a perfect love that's unconditional, the Savior came to set us free, so we could see His love. 
truth that's the truth the only hope for the world is Jesus and he is love unconditional love let us pray almighty God and father we just thank you for resurrecting us from the dead resurrecting the power that is within us and reminding us through your word as your word goes through us and cleanses us of all the 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 influence and the taint of the world that we are powerful beyond measure, that we already have the victory, that we have you indwelling us, and that we can do anything.
So give us the courage to listen to you and to believe you and to stop believing and giving so much power to all of the messages coming from the flesh which are designed to destroy us. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.